Welcome back to Revive School, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody excited to be here? I know this guy is. Friends, lesson 15, can you believe it? Man, we are in Judges chapter 5 and 6 today. Boys, how you feeling this morning? Great. Ready to go. Awesome. Excellent. Hey, I want to take, you, uh, take your attention to the painting really quick here before we launch into this here. On this painting represents, you know, uh, you have the scales here. This, this whole book is all about kind of this pendulum swing that the Israelites are walking in. They're, they're diving into sin and idolatry, but then the spirit of the Lord. So this, obviously the apple represents sin and iniquity and that kind of stuff. And you got the tempter trying to defile and sin, guys, always leads to death. You got this over here. But then on the left side, you got the Spirit of God over and over throughout the book of Judges. You see these 12 judges that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them and to kind of bring the balance back here. And I love that the Spirit outweighs the sin and the death. So uh, I'm going to be tapping into a little bit today about the bumblebee. Look at this cute little bumblebee. And according to Mindy, this crazy person, uh, so we're going to talk about Deborah, which the name Deborah means bee, like a little bumblebee. And then uh, the, the, the white poppy represents peace. So we're going to kind of tap into this, guys. Uh, kind of my overall theme for, for today, you guys, uh, it's just kind of like what's in a name. Did you guys know that God is very intentional and on purpose about naming people and naming places and things and, you know, like... Uh, Jacob, when he encountered the Lord in, in the book of Genesis, he called it Bethel, the house of God. He literally called it the house of God where, where God came and manifested his presence. So today I want to talk about just the significance and the importance of names. Uh, you know, yesterday Wesley did an awesome job unpacking this kind of crazy story talking about Deborah and her friend Barak. So we're going to dive into these word, these names like uh, Deborah and Barak just for a few minutes, but I really want to tap into a guy named Gideon. So if you go to the whiteboard here, as Wesley kind of painted the picture the other day, he said this, that the first uh, couple judges, and he, and he did kind of one through four. So we got the first judge of Israel that rose up, which was the brother of Caleb, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, guys? The brother of Caleb? It'd been a nephew. It's the nephew of Caleb. His name's Othniel. Uh, then you had number two, Ehud. I wish Wesley would have dove into this character because this is a crazy story. Not even going to talk about it. Just for your reading enjoyment, I hope you've done the reading because it is a psycho story. You got Shamgar, the number three uh, judge of Israel during this period. Uh, then Wesley tapped into number four, which is Deborah. An awesome kind of this, honestly, out of all these people, she's like the most legit and she had a buddy named Barak. We're going to talk about that a little bit, and then obviously we're going to get into Gideon, which is the fifth judge. So look at this. We're just going to kind of dive right in uh, to the scripture. We're going to go to Judges chapter 5, verse 1. And so really, guys, what I'm going to do today, I want to give kind of a, a really quick brush stroke. I hope it's going to be quick, uh, but I want to talk about Deborah's song. And it's really kind of cool uh, how this is laid out, and then we're going to get into the first half of Gideon's story. I'll start off with this. Uh, you know, I was doing a session, I, many of you guys know Ray Sturdivant, and I was getting some prayer ministry about, a, about probably a year and a half ago. And I had this encounter with the Lord where I had this vision 
of the Lord kind of putting his hand on my mother's womb. And in this vision, man, it just wrecked me so much. I, mean, I could even just cry thinking about it. But it was this powerful time where the Lord really said that this one, this one here, this is my mighty warrior. And I remember when the Lord uh, you know, showed me that, I just began to weep and cry and just because it was just a really dark time. I mean, even when I was in the mother's womb, you know, little babies pick up on stuff like this. And so we're going to be talking about some people that are really born into crazy times of adversity, but God had marked them for such a time as this. And for my situation, you guys, this whole mighty warrior thing, my parents growing up, they always said, Joshua, you're, the, you're my mighty warrior. You're my mighty warrior. Well, when I told my dad about this vision that I had a year and a half ago, he said, Josh, you're not going to believe it. I was born in Turkey, the nation of Turkey, which explains a lot, actually. Uh, but uh, as when we were there, this guy came to a church service and put his hands on my mother's belly and said, Hey, this one here, this one's going to be a mighty warrior. And so the very thing that the Lord had confirmed in, in this vision was something that my dad told me like years later, having no idea. And even just me, you know, Joshua is a mighty warrior. You know, my, my name actually means the Lord saves. Um, and so, but there's these connotations that he's a mighty warrior. And so it's like, even for me, God has marked me. Every one of you guys listening to this video right now, or listening to this, you know, on audio, you guys have been called and equipped and purposed for such a time as this. And so coming out of this teaching, that's what I want you guys to walk away with is that your name has significance. These people's names have prophetic implications on their lives and for the nation of Israel. So look at this. Uh, we're going to go to chapter five, verse one. It says, on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, saying this, you know, it's nothing... Why don't you just, like, after you do a big victory, why don't you just whip out the, the tambourines and the guitars and do a little dancey dance and sing a song? Why not, right? But that's what these guys did. You know, I think of in the old, when I think of in Exodus, where uh, Miriam and Moses, they grabbed their instruments and they began to sing a song. Or, you know, all throughout the scriptures, people sing these songs. They have, they pause, you know, David, when they capture back the, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, like he comes in with singing and jubilation, they sing songs. So I want to talk about Deborah here for a minute. So on that day, Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang. Deborah's name means this, guys. Going back to the painting real quick. Deborah, literally, it means bee. Just kind of a fun little thing. Like, I don't know how she got that name. But here's what's fun. That God used her, as Wesley was talking about in the previous chapter, that God used uh, Deborah as a judge to, to bring a sting to the armies and the enemies of God. Um, and then Barak, man, I got to tell you guys this. So first off, I'll go back to Deborah. So Deborah's, her name means B. She was a poetess. She's a prophetess. And uh, she was the fourth judge of Israel. Barak's name means this. It means lightning. Kind of interesting. But what's weird is that the, the word Barak, it also is Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word of praise. Uh, man, if you could go to this, go to Psalm 34.1. And I want to unpack this scripture for you really quick. So Barak, his name means praise. Look at this. I will Barak the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Isn't that cool? So that, that word, that, that, that word means praise. So Barak means praise. Also, man, if you could go to Psalm 95, 6, the connotation for this Hebrew word of praise, it actually means to worship and bow down, to like, to lay, to lay prostrate before the Lord. Look at this. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So let us Barak. Let us Barak. And so that's what this, this guy's names mean. Uh, uh, so look at this. Go to verse 2, man, in Judges 5. Look at this. It says, when the leaders in Israel lead, 
when the people volunteer, praise the Lord. So like, remember, man, they had conquered, uh, uh, the, the, the Canaanites, this, this king named Jabin, and the commander is Sisera, and they just, they, they rallied against them, they fought. Now look at this, it, it, it says, when the people volunteer, praise the Lord. You know what that word is? It's Barak. So guys, listen, what Deborah's doing here and what Barak's doing is, is they're actually confirming their names, like it's a prophetic act. They're, they, he's, he, they're literally living out their names right now. That God used Deborah to come and sting like a bee. They used, uh, God used Barak to come and strike like lightning, and now they're literally praising the Lord. Man, Barak means to bless, it means to kneel, to, to bless abundantly, to salute, to thank, to boast in, to pronounce blessing. Uh, Judges 5 verse 3 says this, Listen, kings, pay attention, princes. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, this is a different Hebrew word for praise. Sorry to get a little heady here with, with the praise and worship stuff, but I'm a worship leader, so this is what you get. So that last line, I will sing praise to the Lord, God of Israel. That's a different Hebrew word, and that word is zamar. Z-A-M-A-R, zamar. It means to make music, to praise in song. Just a really quick note, sometimes in church we're like, hey, let's just praise the Lord. Let's just praise Him. Just praise Him. Or when we read the scripture, we see, we see these things all throughout the Psalms, praise the Lord. But guys, there are multiple words in Hebrew for the word praise. So we kind of have in our English, we just have this one word. But guys, there are many meanings to the word praise. And so we're kind of tapping into it. Praise can mean to make music, to sing. Uh, it could mean to sigh. It could mean to bless. It could mean to salute. All these different things. Look at this verse 4. Lord, when you came from Seir, and when you marched from the fields of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens poured rain, and the clouds poured water. Go to the next verse. The mountains melted before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. Man, this is awesome. Oh, here's Shammy, Shammy Hagar, verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the main ways were deserted because travelers kept to the side roads. Look at this, verse 7. I love this verse. Villages were deserted, and they were deserted in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. Man, I got a really quick verse, Kev. If you can go to 1 Corinthians 4.15. Guys, I really believe this, that God in our day, this, is just, this one's for free. I believe in our day, God wants to raise up fathers and mothers in the faith. You know, like people... Like disciples making disciples, but really like how the Bible says that one generation will declare your works to the next generation. I, I, I'm, my prayer, you guys, is this, that God would raise up fathers and mothers, godly fathers and mothers, because I need them. I need fathers and mothers in my life. I need godly grandmothers and grandfathers in my life to speak into me, to pour into me. I need them. And so look at this. This is what 1 Corinthians 4.15 says. For you can have 10,000 instructors or teachers in Christ... But you can't have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Guys, what Paul is saying here is, I became your spiritual father through the gospel. And that's what we're, that's what we're longing for in these days. And so what Deborah is bringing to the table in this ridiculous psycho time, a time of lawlessness, a time of complete absurdity. We're going to get into the idolatry here, you guys. Oh my gosh. And Gideon, I'll talk, I'll talk to you about it. But guys, they were subject to seven different nations' gods. It was so disgusting and so idolatrous and so murderous and uh, into all this kind of stuff. And Deborah is rising up. I arose a mother in Israel. Come on, somebody. We need the fathers and the mothers to rise up. Uh, look at this in verse eight. Kev, if you would go, um, 
I'm going to read this verse, but I want you to go to Judges 4, 1 and 2. So verse 8 of 5, it says this, Israel chose new gods. Then war was in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Judges 4, 1 and 2, it says this, The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. Now go to the next one. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hezor. The commander of his forces was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth from, of the nation. So Wesley was talking about this just the other day. And this is what they're talking about. This is how the new gods arose. They, they began to get in captivity, and uh, now they had to war against them. Verse 9, I love this. Uh, in, in Judges chapter 5, it says this. My heart is with the leaders of Israel with the volunteers of the people. Again, there's that praise the Lord, that Barak to bless. But guys, what I love about this verse in nine, it's, this is a very good leadership model. Like it, to me, godly leaders, this is how they function. Their heart is with their leadership. Uh, they don't domineer and, and try to like smash everybody into their vision, but their heart is truly humble enough to be with the, their leadership and to be with the people who give their lives to be a part of what we're doing. You know, it's what I love about Time to Revive. Our leadership here, you guys, it's just a humble leadership. There's a submission to, to, to Christ, uh, uh, out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another, and it's this really beautiful thing. Uh, man, just go there really quick. Go to Ephesians 5, 19 through 21. It says this, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Look at what Deborah and Barak are doing, you guys. They're, they're, they're teaching and admonishing the people with what? With this psalm, this hymn, this spiritual song that's rising up, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Now go to the next verse in verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, again, Barak and, and Deborah are setting this template, setting the stage of like, this is, this is what our response should be. This is a teaching moment. We want to teach the nation of Israel. We're going to use song. We're going to use dance. We're going to use tambourines. We're going to do this as an expression of worship. Go to verse 21 to wrap up this part. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. That's good leadership. That's an awesome leadership model. And finally, kind of to wrap up this part of Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. Verse, verse 11, it says this in Judges 5. It says this, Let them tell of the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous deeds of his warriors in Israel, with the voices of the singers at the watering places. Then the Lord's people went down to the gates. There it is. It talks about the warriors in Israel. Just, man, God is raising up these mighty warriors, and she is uh, expressing and recounting the goodness of God. In verse 12, it says this, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a new song. We got another Hebrew word for this, for this praise setting. This word sing, you guys, it's debar. Debar means to speak, to assert, to declare, to preach, to talk, or to utter. So sing a new song. She's using this opportunity when she sings to declare and to preach and teach and talk and utter. What's really cool, you guys, not to get too crazy here, but as I was talking about, these names are a prophetic sign. And the word debar comes from the Hebrew word debir, D-E-B-I-R, which means to speak. So debir, it's starting to sound like somebody's name, Deborah. So Deborah is actually kind of, a, the root is getting into this, like she's living out her prophetic destiny as a speaker and a teacher of truth, as a mother to Israel. So this sing a new song, man, Debar, Debir, Deborah, like she's living this whole thing out. And so guys, I'm going to kind of flip over, change gears a little bit. Oh man, if you could go to 521, I just want to say this really quick. 
if I could ever get a tattoo, which I won't because it's of the devil, um, I would get this one. Uh, the River Kishon swept away <laughs> from the ancient river, the River Kishon. March on my soul in strength. I would get that like all over my body, maybe across my chest right here, just right here. March on my soul in strength. I love that. <clears throat> And then, guys, uh, finally, in to wrap up Judges chapter 5, the last verse in 31, the very last line, it says this, the land was peaceful for 40 years. Man, I'll tell you this, these guys, Barak and Deborah, what they did, you know, the Bible says in Matthew 5, 9, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Look, D- Barak and Deborah had to do some stinging, and they had to do some striking, before they could do the singing. All right, moving right along. So as you, I hope I'm making my point clear that man, th- this is a prophetic thing. This is what's happening in Israel during this time. And uh, I'm getting my notes all mixed up here like a buffoon. Look at this. We're going to go to uh, uh, Judges chapter 6. Just go to the first verse, Kevin, if you could. So the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh, this sounds familiar. <laughs> Again? So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years. This is ridiculous. All right. Hey, remember Moses? He had a father-in-law named Jethro. And Jethro was the priest of Midian. And then back in the day, Abraham, one of his concubines, I th- yeah, her name was Keturah, that was where the, the Midianites came from. So like there's this ancient thing, this kind of, guys, I'm telling you, we're going to get into this in a few chapters when we talk about Jephthah, but sometimes your garbage follows you around and it stinks. And sometimes the Lord, I mean, he just wants to heal and deliver us of it. And sometimes we get thrown into ministry and there's some major character defects that God wants to deal with. Well, Midian, this whole tribe came out of this kind of spirit of rejection and uh, they, they, they carried it up until this point. There's this theme here that Israel falls away and the Lord delivers them into evil hands. Remember, guys, like the Lord, uh, uh, the people fall away into sin. And so then God lets them go into, in, into the sin and into the death. The sin always leads to death. But then again, God always with his anointing, the spirit of the Lord com- comes upon somebody like these judges. And bam, he begins to swing the pendulum to the other way. Uh, look at this. In verse one, it says the Lord handed them over to Midian for how many years, guys? Seven. Seven years. Just remember that, puppy. Verse 2, it says, They oppressed Israel because Midian, the Israelites, uh, made hiding place. Ah! <laughs> the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Guys, we're talking about this is the worst of times. By the way, Midian, that name is, is a prophetic name. That means judgment. And so God is using the Midianites to bring judgment upon the Israelites. It got so bad that Israel had to flee into these remote hideaways. Man, place of judgment. That's what Midianites mean. So, and then uh, look at verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and Kedamites came and attacked them. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Like, they tried to completely wipe them out. Like, completely, completely drain them of all their supply, wipe them out from the face of the earth. Verse 5, for the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to waste it. Guys, this was a demonic thing. Or actually, yeah, the Lord allowed the enemy to come in and just kind of wreak havoc. Because sometimes, guys, in order for us to get it, even in America, sometimes before us to step into the things of God, we have to become desperate enough and destitute enough that we actually begin to move into things of God. That we actually begin to return to His principles and His ways. 
Guys, we're seeing it right now in America. We are seeing this judgment that's happening. And I'm not a doom and gloomer. I'm a really positive guy. But guys, there are some, there's some weird stuff. It feels a lot like the book of Judges. Look at this in verse 6. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, because of judgment. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord. Guys, desperate times call for desperate measures. And so then they begin to call on the Lord. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian. Randomly, verse 8 says, The Lord sent a prophet to them. He said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. Nobody knows who this prophet is. But look at verse 9. I delivered, I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And so, guys, just a little reference here. So this is about 130 years after the death of Joshua that, that this guy Gideon begins to ride. We're going to talk about him. It's about 220 years after Israel's deliverance from Egypt. You guys can see this progression, man. You got, a, you know, 50 years, a, a century in, two centuries in, just people come and go. They drift in and drift out out of the things of God. Verse 10 says this, I said to you, I'm Yahweh your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. Whoops-a-daisy. Guys, verse 11, man, it just keeps unpacking. Like, look, look at this. I want to I say this. Here's, here's, the, here's where Gideon steps onto the scene. The angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the vine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. Guys, he's threshing wheat in the vine press and... That's not where you do that, but it was, he had to be so covert and sneaky about it. Like, one thing that, that Gideon has really going for him, he's kind of a sneaky dude. And you'll, you'll see here in a minute what I'm talking about. Uh, when I'm thinking of this guy, look at verse 13, you guys. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Go, go, go to 12. Look at this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Man, Romans 4.17 says this crazy thing that God calls forth those things which are not as though they were. Clearly, Gideon was kind of like this Napoleon Dynamite character. Like, he was just totally like, oh, yeah. you know, like, I just, that's how I, I just like, eat the flipping chips, Kip. Like, I just think of, you know, like, where's my chapstick? I think of Gideon as like a Napoleon Dynamite guy. And so, man, he's just like this. He says in verse 13, Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all of his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Gosh! <laughs> Sorry, maybe no gosh. But that's what I just, he's this guy, guy, and look at this, it's so cool. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? Guys, I love how the Lord completely disregards everything that he just said. He didn't even listen to him. He just said, Go in the mighty strength, in the strength that I have given you. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't give a a, a, a concern to, to his complaints. Guys, I want to tell you this in the church, that God doesn't really concern himself with our comfort zone. He just doesn't care. Like, he doesn't care about our comfort zone. He is longing for us to, to move in the mighty power this, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him to bring justice and balance back to kind of this whole thing for the Spirit of God to reign and for the sin and the death to go away. I just love this. Verse 15, he said to him, Please, Lord, should I do Napoleon again? Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel 
Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. Gosh. Flippin' idiot. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I can't, I can't, this, this is Napoleon Dynamite to me. I hope we don't get in trouble with, like, copyright and stuff like that. But I just love it, man. Listen, guys, what he's saying here is he's like, I am the lowest of the low. I am the lowest dude in the lowest clan, in the lowest tribe. I am the lowest of the low. I, I, I cannot do this. But then I love this, you guys. Look at verse 16. It says, but I will be with you, the Lord said to him, and you will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Now look at this. I want to go back to my notes here really quick. So Gideon, this fifth judge of Israel, his name uh, in Hebrew is Gidon. So we say Gideon, but his actual name is Gidon. And uh, it comes from the word Gada, which means to, to hew down, to break off, to chop down, to cut off, or to cut into pieces. Now guys, we're going to talk about this in just a sec, that that's exactly what happens to Gideon, and he prophetically lives out his name. It's like God had raised him up for that time to do a specific thing. He says, man, I want you to cut the Midians down. I want you to strike them down as if they were one man. Verse 17, if, and then he said to him, if I've found favor in your sight, give me, if I've found favor in your sight, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Verse 18, please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. Does anybody else find this super comical? Like, I think this is hilarious. Like, you got the angel of the Lord sitting down waiting so that you can go prepare, like, a bucket of chicken or something. Like, like I got to run. Like, what? Like, he runs out and he does this thing and it's just ridiculous. So then he comes back, man. In verse, verse 19, it says, So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread. From a half bushel of flour, he placed the meat in a basket and the broth in the pot. And he brought them out and offered them under, uh, to him under the oak. Guys, this is a weird kind of thing because in this time of famine, this, this cost Gideon something. There was no goats. There was no flour lying around. Like, this cost him something. Look at verse 21. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff. He's got a bow staff. Sweet! That was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And then the angel of the Lord vanished from the sight. So guys, he has a clear word from the Lord. This is an amazing encounter. And God raises him up. I don't have time to really get into the rest of this like I wanted to. But guys, I want to say this, that in the next uh, couple verses, what happens with Gideon is the Lord says, I want you to go destroy your father's idol to Baal. And I want you to chop down the Asherah pole. Uh, yeah, look at this. On that very night, the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and a second bull, seven years old. Remember this? Remember it said, remember seven years? So guys, these guys were in seven years of judgment and God has prophetically taken him to a place where he's going he's gonna to kill his father's bull. He's going to break the curse off of his father's line because th- his father was an avid Baal worshiper. I mean, the rest of the story, you see this kind of thing come out in, in his dad. He's all about Baal, but he cuts it off. His name, guys, Gideon, it means to cut off, it means to break off. So he broke off this family line, uh, this curse, all the junk that comes with it, all the idol worship. And now look at what he's doing on behalf of Israel. He is cutting down these things, and he's taking this bull. He cuts down the Asherah pole, takes the wood and makes a fire, and builds an altar out of it. And then he takes that second bull that's seven years old. One year, it represents every year uh, of the judgment that was upon Israel. 
And what happens is, is God uses Gideon to, to completely erase that and to redeem that time which Israel lost. It's pretty exciting, man. You know, Gideon to cut down, to break off. Guys, in closing, I just want to say this, that your name, it's so much more than what you think. You have a calling. You have a purpose. You were born for such a time as this. It's, it's not a mistake. You were born on purpose. And I'm so excited for the, ba- the altars of Baal and the sheer poles that God's going to raise you up to cut down in your own life. Guys, we need it in America. We need people to rise up, the righteous men and women of God, to bring back uh, with the spirit of the Lord, to bring back, uh, to balance out of the death and the sin. Guys, uh, that, that is, that's lesson 15, Judges 5 and 6. That was a lot, and I'm sorry. Uh, But I love you guys. Thanks for having me here today, and we'll catch you soon. See you later.